Welcome to another episode of our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Visit our website for complete collections of your favorite old-time radio series. Remember to follow us so you won't miss new releases from SolvedMystery.com. The United States Steel Corporation, half a million employees and stockholders, presents the Theater Guild on the Air. United States Steel Corporation presents the Theater Guild, one of America's foremost theatrical producers, bringing into your home every Sunday evening from the stage of the Vanderbilt Theater in New York, the most famous plays of Broadway. Tonight, as a special Christmas offering, we bring you Louisa May Alcott's beloved story, Little Women, starring Katherine Hepburn as Joe, and featuring Oscar Homolka as the professor, John Lodge as Brooke, Frances Reed as Meg, Judith Parrish as Amy, Susan Douglas as Beth, and Elliot Reed as Laurie. And here is Lawrence Langner, co-director with Teresa Helburn of the Theatre Guild, to tell you something about the play and the players. Mr. Langner. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure most of you listening tonight remember Joe, Amy, Beth, and Meg, the four March girls immortalized by Louisa May Alcott in Little Women. Their shy romances and courage and adversity have endeared them to generations of Americans. Little Women is classified as fiction, but it's pretty common knowledge that Miss Alcott was writing about her own family. And, of course, in the case of the resolute auburn-haired Joe, she was writing about herself. I can think of no more fitting play for Christmas than Little Women, because in tender fashion, in the fashion of three-quarters of a century ago, it's a simple and eloquent argument for kindness and goodwill. I think it's fitting, too, that tonight Catherine Hepburn should play Joe, a role in which she was most successful on the screen. Kate Hepburn is a great favorite with the Theatre Guild. I'm sure many of you enjoyed her in our stage productions of Jane Eyre, the Philadelphia Story, and Without Love. Our cast tonight also includes Oscar Homolka, one of the stars of the Broadway success I Remember Mama. He plays the part of the professor. And now the curtain rises on Little Women. Late afternoon on a Christmas day many years ago in Civil War times. We're in New England in the home of the March family. By the light of the fire, we can see four girls grouped together. Three are sitting rather primly in their chairs sewing. But the fourth is lying on the floor with her long legs dressed in pantalettes stretched out. She reminds you a little of a healthy young colt. Looking up at the ceiling, she says, Christopher Columbus, it's awful to be poor. I don't like it one bit. That's Joe. 
Joe, I wish you wouldn't lie on the floor. The time comes when we have to put aside such romping ways. And please, don't say Christopher Columbus. That's Meg, a proper young lady very conscious of the approach of womanhood. Still, Joe's right. It isn't fair for some girls to have pretty things. Pretty boots, pretty gloves, pretty petticoats and pretty handkerchiefs. And for us to have nothing. And that's Amy, a little vain and fond of luxury. Still, we have each other, and we have mommy and we have father, even though he's far away. And that's Beth, who loves her piano and is a ray of sunshine in the house. And there, grouped together on a Christmas day in Civil War times, are the little women. seems so long ago. Father was away serving as a chaplain to the armies at the front. Mommy had tried all the harder to make it like one of the old Christmases. She'd fixed us a wonderful Christmas breakfast. Sausages, popovers, pie. But at the last moment, we learned about a family who were even harder up than we. So we took them our breakfast. And then it didn't seem like Christmas at all. And for a while, we just sat feeling glum. But then something happened, a great event in our lives. The doorbell rang. We looked at each other, wondering. Mommy went to the door. Yes? Uh, how do you do? Uh, Mr. Lawrence next door sends his compliments. He heard about your children giving away their breakfast, so he sent this by way of appreciation and to make up for what they've done. Why, it's... Open it. They'll like it. It's awfully good. Goodbye. Children, look a dinner for you. Oh, children, cranberry oh, ice cream. Oh, oh, to think that Mr. Lawrence sent well, it. They hardly know us. They've never even paid the slightest attention to us. We've never even spoken with them. I'm sure it was all the boy's idea since he brought it. Oh, he did look nice. What does it all mean? Maybe it means they want to know us better. <laughs> That's what we hoped, because for years we'd looked across longingly toward the fine Lawrence home next door. But the days went by, and we heard no more from the Lawrences. Then one gray afternoon, the four of us were together. Meg, Amy, Beth, and I. Amy was drawing. Meg and Beth were knitting. I do feel properly sad. I'm as sad and drippy as the day. So am I. Christopher Columbus, I'm going to do something. Joe, such slang. I like strong words that mean something. And strong actions, too. What are you going to do, I don't know, but something. Are we going to sit here and be dismal? What else can we do? Believe me, when I'm a famous authoress and have made a lot of money from my stories, I'm not going to sit around feeling mopey and sighing and waiting for things to come to us. I'm going after whatever we want and deserve and should have. Have you finished the story you were going to send away, Joe? Almost. A couple of pages more and it'll be finished. What else is going to happen? Oh, just that... Well... Hugo gets a potion from the witch to make Zara love him, and another to kill Roderigo. The potions are switched. Hugo dies in agony. Then Roderigo in his cell tears his chains apart in a spasm of rapture and goes to confront Don Pedro. Don Pedro runs a sword through him. Roderigo rolls dead down the circular stairway, and Don Pedro hurls himself from the parapet to the rocks below. It's just a matter of cleaning up loose ends. Two pages will do it. <laughs> 
would be wonderful. Joe, it's the best you've ever written. You ought to write a sequel. She can't. The characters are all dead, lying on rocks and parapets. I can easily think up more characters. I wish the stories were a little more tender sometimes. Rodrigo never even had a chance to express his love for Zara. Oh, we can assume they love each other. I want action, not love. Makes me sick the way women behave in stories. How do they behave? Dreadfully. First they blush all over the place. That means love has done its fatal work. Then the lovers start having keepsakes that they moon over. It's all disgusting. Joe, such language. I hope none of us ever start behaving that way. You remember that, girls. Because if you do, I'll hate you. I'll just hate you. If only things could happen in life like they do in stories. The nice thing. Well, why can't they? It's a matter of making them happen. Now, for instance, that house over there, the Lawrence Mansion, that's what I was thinking about. What about What do you mean? Well, now, look, look, see up there? The Lawrence boy is sitting in the solarium again, all bundled up. Laurie, they call him. He's been shut up since Christmas with a cold or something. His old Mm. grandfather's awfully strict with him. I know, makes him study all the time, poor fellow. Looks like fun, too. His tutor will be in in a little while, and they'll sit there with his lessons from four till six. I've watched them. There are four men over there. A grandfather, a tutor, a boy, and a butler. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pay him a visit right now. Sure. Of all the improper suggestions. Well, why not, Meg? We've lived next to them for years. But we don't know them. We haven't been introduced. I'm sure they want to know us. Why else would they send us that Christmas That piece? was very kind of them, and Mommy has written to thank them. Does it have to end there? Oh, it makes me angry. Now, look. I'm going to get a dish of blancmange, and I'll simply go over Joe, and... if you ever do such an unladylike thing... What'll you do? Mommy will be mortified. She's often said it's nice to be neighborly, and I'm going to be neighborly. Anybody want to come? Don't you dare. It's wrong. It's rash. It it isn't nice. Christopher Columbus, I'm going. Master Lawrence, will you now explain to me the circumstances of Catiline's conspiracies as revealed in the orations of Cicero? Uh, Catiline's conspiracy. Uh, Catiline conspired with some other people, didn't he? Yeah, correct so far. Continue. Uh, let's see. Uh, Cicero... Master Lawrence, uh, your eye keeps wandering to the window of the house next door. Please keep your mind on your lessons. I'm sorry, sir. It, it looks so jolly over there. At the window where the flowers are, they seldom close the curtains, and all grouped around like that with the light from the fire, it it looks so cheerful. Yes, no doubt. Continue. Yes, sir. Uh, Catalyze. Hi, Joe. That is a pleasing picture over there. The family group around the hearth. Yes, sir. Delightful. Uh, now then, uh, what were we talking about? Uh, the rivers of France. Oh, yes. Uh, please name the four chief rivers of France. No, uh, we weren't, sir. Huh? We were uh, talking about Catiline. Uh, Catiline? Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes? Uh, pardon me, Mr. Brooke, but a young lady from next door is here and says she's come to visit Master Lawrence. What? She has some blancmange with her. Oh, jolly. Can't we let her in? But Mr. Lawrence has given strict orders that the young master is to stay in the solarium and see no one except you, sir, for his lesson. Quite right, he has. Until you're absolutely better. But I'm all right, sir. We'll have to say Master Lawrence is not receiving the master's orders. I've told her. So now she insists on seeing the master. She says the orders are a great mistake, and she wants to tell him so. Good heavens. (laughs) I, I think you'd better talk to her, Mr. Brooks. I'd better. Master Lawrence, please stay here. 
Is there uh, anything I can do for you, miss? Uh, yes, sir, there is. I'd like to speak to Mr. Lawrence, please. Well, he's in his study, and uh, we, we oh? never disturb him in his study. Are you afraid of him? Miss, we obey his instructions. Oh, which is his study? Because I'd like to speak to him a moment, and I'll go in myself, if you don't mind. Well, really, I, I, I don't think that is. I mean, I... Why are you I, all so afraid of him? I'm sure he's really a kind man at heart. I'm not afraid of him because he's already shown that Watch this. He... Watch this. Uh, Who's not afraid of who? Oh, Mr. Uh, Lawrence, uh, I, I, I don't... Uh, I... Uh, Mr. Mr. Lawrence, uh, 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 we, we were just talking about you. Indeed? Uh, yes, yes, sir. Um, I, I was saying I was sure you were really a kind man at heart. After all, you sent us that wonderful dinner at Christmas time and... Ah, yes, my grandson's idea. Well, I know that your grandson has been sick, and so I brought over some blancmange we made this morning. It'll slide down his throat easily and... How charming of you. Mr. Brooke, why are you standing here in the hall arguing with this young lady? Well, sir, I... I, I don't Everybody know. Everybody seemed to think I'd broken the rules of the household, so I wanted to talk to you, Mr. Lawrence. Sir, don't you think you're really too strict with the boy? Miss Bart, I really think that Just you... a second, Mr. Brooke. Let her go on. You see, I think you have too many rules here. Your grandson so seldom gets out, and he studies so hard. Now, now, if he could come to our house for tea now and then and have some fun, I'm sure it would do him good. <laughs> So you think I'm too harsh with him, eh? And you're not afraid of me. Well, bless you. Maybe I do watch over him like an old grandmother. You see, we lost his father and mother long ago. And so he's my responsibility. But I'm sure no harm could come to him in that delightful home of yours. So I'll tell you what. Tomorrow the boy shall come to you for tea. If he won't be in the way. Indeed he won't. You're very kind to invite him. And now, Mr. Brooke... Will you escort this young lady safely back to her house? <laughs> I'm not a young lady, sir, and I don't need to be escorted. Nonsense. You shan't go alone. <laughs> Mr. Brooke. Yes, sir. Uh, my, uh, my arm, Miss March? Well... Give my regards to your family, Miss March. Oh, I will indeed, sir. <laughs> uh, uh, um... Don't you think it's a little silly escorting me 40 yards across the lawn to my own house? Well, we... we... We couldn't let you go alone. <laughs> I've been running around here since I was a child. Yes, but you're you're not a child now, miss. That is hardly... Oh, look out for that ice, Mr. Brooke. Oh, thank you. You're Master Lawrence's tutor, aren't you, sir? Y yes, I am. You must be very learned. Well, the more one learns, the more one finds to be learned, Miss March. How true that must be. Uh, miss March, are you... Uh... Uh, you are the uh, uh, second of the four sisters? Yes, I'm Joe. The oldest is Meg. Oh, oh, yes. She's the pretty one with the blonde hair. She's lovely. Meg. Oh, yes. Well, here we are, Mr. Brooke. It was nice of you to... Joe, Joe, did you actually... Meg, Meg, oh. dear. I, I'd like you to meet Mr. Brooke, Master Lawrence's tutor. How... How do you do? Oh, how do you do? I'm... I'm charmed. And, and, and now I... Well, I must return. Uh, good day, Miss March, and... Uh, Miss March. Good day, Mr. Good day, Brooke. Mr. Brooke, and uh, thank you. Joe, oh, how could you? How could you? Oh, Meg, Meg, they were awfully nice to me. Really, Meg. Why, Meg, you're blushing. From that day on, we saw quite a bit of the Lawrence family. The boy, Laurie, often came to our house. 
But I couldn't have foreseen then all that my neighborly visit would lead to. One spring day in the garden with Laurie, I was reading him a story I'd just finished. Go on, go on. The Count stood as one changed to stone, and turning to the bewildered crowd, Ferdinand added, with a mysterious smile upon his lips, To you, my gallant friends, I can only wish that your wooing may prosper as mine has done, and that you may all win as fair a bride as I have by my masked marriage. Joe, it's... It's capital. Christopher Columbus. I took it to the newspaper office yesterday. Nobody in the family knows I'm, a, I'm to hear the editor's verdict next week. Josephine, March, a real authoress. If they use that story, they'll pay me $1.50 for it. <laughs> in time, I can help support the family. And now, I have a secret for you. Well, out with it. <laughs> this is rich. You promise not to tell. Come on, now. Well, you remember last week Meg was looking for a glove she lost? At the party you gave, yup. Well? Have you found it? No, but, uh... <clears throat> Why are you so mysterious? I, uh, know where it is. Where? Well... Come on, tell me. Mr. Brooke. What about him? His pocket. You mean... You mean Mr. Brooke has it in his pocket? His inside pocket. Mm Mm-hmm. I, uh, I caught him looking at it this morning. When I came in the room, he quickly stuffed it away and looked in the other direction. (laughs) Well, what do you think? But they've hardly ever spoken. Well, that's not necessary. (laughs) I think it's dreadful. Why, what's the matter? It's awful. I don't know why you think it's so funny. I I thought it was jolly. I I thought you'd be pleased. Pleased? Oh, I hate this sort of thing. Love a business. I hate it. I thought I was bringing you some plummy news. Don't you see, Laurie? Our family's always been so close. We mean so much to each other. And now this means it's all going to change. If Meg leaves, it'll never be the same. It'll all break up and... Oh, I hope she doesn't go. Joe, why should you feel that way? I do, that's all. Joe? Yes, Mommy? Could you come in the house a minute? All right, Mommy. There's a something I must tell you. Amy! Beth, come downstairs. Family meeting. Coming. Coming. What's it about? I don't know. Don't you know? No, what is it, Mommy? Well, you'll hear in a moment. Coming. What's it about? We're all here now. You look worried, Mommy. Children, I want you to be brave. It's about your father. Father? A telegram has just come. A telegram? Your husband is very ill in Washington Hospital. Please come at once. Oh, no. Now, now don't cry, children. Now, above all, we must think clearly and quickly and face our tasks. I must leave for Washington tonight to be with your father. The train goes at 8 o'clock. Don't cry, Beth. I won't, Mommy. Joe, I've written a letter to Aunt March... For your father, I'm not ashamed to beg from our relatives. I've asked her for money for the trip here. Without it, I can't afford to go. Will you take it and do all you can to persuade her? She'll croak about it something awful. She has such a temper. I know, but we must try. I'll go, Mommy. Meg, I want you to get my black leather trunk from the attic. What's this? A trip to Washington? <laughs> Stuff and nonsense. Aunt March, you must Oh, please. I always said it was foolishness, your father trotting off to war. Aunt March, I beg you. I told him wars are won by soldiers, not chaplains. Aunt March, listen, please. Now, maybe next time he listen to me and not go off, leaving others to look after his family and treat them to trips to Washington. Aunt March, you have no right to put it that way. Father is sick. Silence, and... girl, and mend your manners. Hmm. Trip to Washington, I say again, rubbish. Stuff and nonsense. Oh, 
Mommy, why isn't Joe back yet? I can't imagine. I'm beginning to get worried. What can she be doing, children? I don't know. She's been gone so long. I have to go soon. Oh, isn't it just like Joe suddenly to disappear? But, oh, oh, the door. I'll answer it. Madam. Oh, yes, Mr. Brooks. Uh, Mr. Lawrence, hearing of your trip, has just commissioned me to go to Washington to transact for him certain necessary business there. And, uh, since we shall be traveling on the same train, uh, he instructed me to place myself at your disposal and offer myself as escort for the journey. Uh, whatever I can, I shall do, both on the journey and in Washington. Oh, Mommy. How generous will you thank Mr. Lawrence. I accept gratefully. Oh, I am, I am glad, madam. You don't know how reassuring this is to us, Mr. Brooks. I, I am happy to be of service, Miss Meg. The journey to Washington can be a fearful experience, I'm told. Oh, yes. The constant shaking in the dust and the spring rain. Yes, indeed. Sometimes there are floods, I know, and whole bridges collapsing. And portions of the track washed away and, and, and simply things. disappearing. And just knowing that you will be watching over Mother will be a great comfort. Thank you, Miss Megan. May I say... Mommy! Mommy! Oh, Joe, there you are, dear. Oh, thank goodness I'm on time. Oh, Mommy, Aunt March was simply dreadful. She simply said no, just a flat no, so oh, I... Oh, dear, she did send money over. One of her maids brought it. She must have changed her mind. She sent enough for the train fare. Oh, she did? Well, well, you're going to need a lot more than that. And this will help you. You can buy something Father needs with it. With what, dear? Here, take it. Heaven, Joe! Twenty-five dollars. Twenty-five... Why, Joe? My word. Wherever did you get it? Look. Oh, Joe, your hair, your beautiful hair. Yep, I sold it to the wig maker. He gave me that for it. Snipped it right off. Joe, it was your crowning glory. No man will ever be stirred by you now. Oh, well, what do I care for such nonsense? Father is sick. He needs help. I wanted to help him. <laughs> Besides, it'll do my brains good to get that mop off them. Joe, how can you say that about your hair? Oh, Joe, let me hug you, girl. It was a fine thing you did to sacrifice your greatest beauty. Now, Mommy, you, you'd better be going for the train. Oh, Joe, that impetuous spirit of yours that leads to such kind, impulsive deeds. It could also lead to trouble. Watch it when I'm gone, girl. Yes, Mommy. Meg, dear, my womanly Meg, your heart rules your head. See that it doesn't when it shouldn't. I shall, Mommy. Beth, your only fault is fear of what lies before you. Have courage, Beth. I will, Mommy. Amy, we all think so well of you that you sometimes think too well of yourself. Be careful. Yes, Mommy. Now, I must leave you. Be what your father wanted you to be. His little women. So for the first time in our lives, we were left alone. News came from Washington that Father was improving, and we breathed more easily. Mr. Brooks sent us stiff little bulletins every day, signed... Your faithful and obedient servant, John Brooks. Meg read them aloud over and over again, including the signature. And so, though they were miles apart, this threat to our family seemed to grow and grow. And my heart stood still with fear as I watched her. Then... Meg, Amy, and I were sitting at home early one evening. Beth was out. 
But Lori was with us. Joe, stop gloating over that check. Oh, how can I help it? One dollar and fifty cents. It'll pay for some medicine for father. Of course. And the next time, they'll give me more. Now, this is what I would call a snippy nose. Amy, what on earth are you doing? Is she at that business again? Amy, I wish you wouldn't. What is it? I'm drawing noses. What? I don't like my nose. So she spends time drawing noses she'd like to have if she could choose a different one. <laughs> now, here's an upsy-daisy little nose that I don't like, but some men might. Amy, really? Talking about men and whether they'll like you. Horrid, isn't she? I know you don't like love. Now, I... girls, girls, really. I... Beth is back. Why is she knocking? That's funny. I'll open it. Well, come in. What's the matter? Stand back. Don't come near me. What is Beth. it? You stand back and I'll come in. All right. What is it, Bessie? Mercy, Beth, tell us. I went to the house again. Family mother was looking after the baby has been sick. Tonight I held her while Mrs. Hummel went for the doctor. She died in my arms. Oh, you poor girl. Oh, Amy hasn't had scarlet fever. She must stand oh, back. Heaven. Have you had it, Lori? Yes, I have. So have I. Beth. You've been over there three times this week, haven't you? Yes, I have a fever. Doctor told me to come home at once. Bethy, darling, sit down. Your head is like an oven. I'm afraid... Amy, Amy, you've got to leave now. Go to Aunt Marge. I don't want to. You must. You've got to. But I don't want to Amy, leave. please, be... Come, Joe. We've got to get Beth to bed. Yes, come on, Bethy, to your room. I'm all right, Come, Joe. dear, we'll help you. That's it. We'll get you into bed, dear. We'll get you into They're bed. They're right, Amy. You've got to leave. Can't I help? Not here, you can't. Why, if you get it to it, it'd be a catastrophe. This is a bad thing. Still, I wish now, I... Now, Amy, look, you can help most by going. Look, I'll follow the example of the worthy Mr. Brooke. I'll put myself in charge of bulletins, and every day I'll drop in on you and let you know how things are. Will you, Laurie? Why, of course, and I'll do even more. I'll bring you surprises. Oh? I'll bring you a flower from our garden every day, and I'll bring you pictures of handsome men and women with interesting noses. <laughs> do you promise, Laurie? Of course. Well, I'll go then. Good girl. Lori. Yes, Joe. Lori, could you go for our doctor, Dr. Bangs? Of course, at once. Look, Amy's going to be sensible and go to your aunt's. I'm glad, Amy. I'll go right now. Now, wait now. a minute, wait a minute. Before you go, one thing. We mustn't write a word to Mommy. If we did, she'd come at once and leave Father. That would be dreadful. I'm afraid she would. So not a word. Oh, I could lash myself. If I hadn't been so intent on my stories, I'd have been going to the Hummels instead of Beth. Each time, all three of us left it to her. Joe, don't blame yourself. We'll make it up if we can. Joe... If there's anything I can do, please understand. All I want is to help you in every possible way. Oh, thanks, Laurie. The crisis came a week later. Beth was very sick. And one day as she lay on her bed mumbling incoherently... We finally sent a wire to Mommy. We waited anxiously for her to come. That night, none of us slept. Mr. Lawrence paced in the living room downstairs. Lori lay on the hearth rug. Meg and I stayed in the room with Beth, sleeping in turns at the foot of her bed. The hours went by. What's she doing with her hands? Look. She's, she's playing the piano on the bed covers. Can you tell the tune? It's what she always played. Sing it to her, Meg. She's smiling, Meg. Oh, Meg, don't. 
I'm so wicked, Joe. No, you're not, Meg. I am. That day Beth went to the Hummels when I wouldn't go. It was because I wanted to sit home and read Mr. Brooks' letters over and over. It was wicked of me. Meg. I've only talked to him three or four times. Mother said that my heart rules my head. She was right. Oh, Joe. If Beth gets better, I'll never let myself have such thoughts again. Don't say that, Meg. God, help Beth get better. There's nothing I won't do. Amen. Meg. Meg, she's breathing more easily. Her forehead is cooler. She's sleeping naturally. The change has come, Meg. Oh. There's the carriage. It's stopping at our door. That's Mommy and, and, and there's Father, too. They've come. Oh, wonderful. Oh, Meg, they've come in time. fallen on the first act of the Theater Guild production of Little Women, presented by U.S. Steel and starring Katherine Hepburn. Before our play continues, here is George Hicks with a Christmas message. The night was dark and cold, and there was snow on the hills of Judea as a weary man led a donkey into the outskirts of a town in southern Palestine. He and his wife had come a long way. According to the Romans, the date was 754... According to our calendar, it was one day B.C., and the man and his wife were named Joseph and Mary. Through the crowded streets of Bethlehem, they went to the inn, but it was filled and there was no room for them. So they took refuge in the only place they could find, a warm stable. And there in the stable, a boy was born. A manger was his crib. At about that time, three wise men entered the city of Jerusalem, They said that they'd been led by a star out of the east to find the newborn child who would be king of his people. And they bore gifts of gold and incense for the infant. The three wise men were directed to Bethlehem because an ancient prophecy had foretold the birth of the ruler there. In the stable, as the happy parents were admiring their firstborn, shepherds came bringing presents. They told how they'd been tending their sheep on the hills around Bethlehem when an angel appeared and said... I bring you tidings of great joy. This day is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. The angel had sent them to the stable. And then the sky was filled with angels saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Pause now for station identification.
You're listening to KECA Los Angeles. The curtain rises on the second act of Louisa M. Alcott's classic story, Little Women, starring Catherine Hepburn as Joe and featuring Oscar Homolka as Professor Baird, John Lodge as Brooke, Frances Reed as Meg, Judith Parrish as Amy, Susan Douglas as Beth, and Elliot Reed as Laurie. It's a few weeks later in the home of the Marches. Get ready, get ready, Bethy. Here comes Father now. Oh, Daddy comes marching home again. Hooray, hooray. To think I've heard my four girls singing together again. How good that sounded with my little Beth at the piano again. Are you all right, Beth? Oh, yes, Father. But now, Father and Bethy are going back to bed. Come, Beth. Yes, Mommy. It was so good to get up and all be together again. The most joyful reunion party that ever happened. Now you must rest, both of you. We'll go with you, Beth. Thanks, Meg. Amy. Come, dear. Come in. Joe, why so solemn-faced about a celebration? It's wonderful they're both getting well. Well, then why the gloomy countenance? This house is full of suspense and foreboding. There's an unfinished matter to be settled. It hangs over us like a sword. <laughs> you mean Brooke and Meg? Yes. Mommy came back calling Mr. Brooke John. Really? Down in Washington, he spoke to her and father, wondered if he might, at the proper time, address his attentions to Miss Margaret. <laughs> they said yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, have you finally reconciled yourself to the idea? Of course I haven't. I hate it. Why, Joe, do you want me to make you a wager? I'll wager you'll be next, Joe. Please, Laurie, don't say that. Don't you see what's happening? Our whole family is going to smash. Don't be so melodramatic about it, Joe. I, I guess I'd better let you get over your gloom, so I'll clear out. What? <laughs> Joe, look there in the hall. Old Brooke left his umbrella in your umbrella stand, the sly dog. I'm sure it's an excuse to come back at the proper moment. Miss Margaret. Oh, Mr. Brooke. Forgive the intrusion. I I hope it's not untimely. I I came to inquire about your father. That is, I... Well, I came for my umbrella. That is, I... Oh, I... he's in the umbrella stand. I mean, it's doing very nicely, thank you. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Miss Marsh. It's so good to see you laughing and... and happiness returning to this home. We owe much of it to you, sir. Oh, does that mean that I might... Share in this joy? One surely deserves the happiness one brings to others. Margaret, I... Mr. I, Brooke. Are you afraid of me, Margaret? How can I be afraid of one who's been so good to father? Margaret, I... Uh, do you suppose? I mean, is it possible? Can it be? Oh, oh, Margaret, I love you. I love you. Now, look, Joe, 
I've been trying to talk to you. I know you have, You Lori. keep running away from me. I know I do. Now, sit still for a moment, Joe. We've got to have this out. No, let's not, Laurie. We're such good friends. Don't you see? I, I don't see. That's just what I mean. Oh, look, Joe. After a little more schooling, Grandfather's going to put me to work in one of his offices and... Laurie, please don't go on. But this is what I've been trying to say. I wish you wouldn't. Joe, for months I've been in and out of this house. Do you think I had any reason for coming except to see you? I love you, Joe. Won't you marry me? That's what I was afraid of. Why? Oh, Laurie, I didn't want it to come to this. I so much wanted that you shouldn't get hurt. You've meant so much to me that... But that, that's what I mean, Joe. What we mean to each other. Laurie, I don't love you. Well, couldn't you learn to? No. Love doesn't come that way. I'm... I'm so terribly sorry. Oh, this is kind of a jolt. I, I've banked on this for such a long time. You mustn't anymore, Laurie. This isn't something a person can just put aside. I, I'll ask you again, Joe. So you see, Mommy, I've got to get away. Away? I'm so horrid and restless, and, and with things as they are with Laurie, I've got to leave. What do you want to do, dear? Mommy, you remember that Mrs. Kirk and her two children? She went to New York to start a boarding home. Yes. Well, I thought I might write to her and ask for a position as governess. Then I could be in New York and get more ideas for stories. I've sold three stories now, and I'm sure I could get along... That's what I want to do, Mommy. I've got to get away. Perhaps it would be best for both you and Laurie. Poor Laurie. I feel as if I'm stabbing my best friend. Well, I want you to value your freedom till you tire of it. Because only then will you learn there is something better. Oh, thank you, Mommy. You see, I want action, not love. I wrote to Mrs. Kirk and she gave me a position. I arrived in New York on a clear fall day and I felt the world was before me. My room was a skylight room with a simple bare table to work at. <laughs> Mrs. Kirk's children were a handful, but my evenings were my own and then I worked like a demon. At first, I didn't speak very much to other people at the boarding house. But one day, a man was playing a piano in the parlor. I stopped standing in the doorway, listening. He was an Austrian professor. Oh, excuse me. I did not see you. Oh, please don't stop. It's so beautiful. What's the name of it? I'd so love to send it to my sister, Beth. The music is Tchaikovsky for a poem by Goethe. Nur wer die Sehnsucht kennt, weiß, was ich leide. Nur wer die Se... 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 Wait, I give you in English. <laughs> None but the lonely heart can know my sorrow. Alone and parted, far from joy and gladness, my senses fail. A burning fire devours me. None but the lonely heart can know my sadness. My senses fail. 
A burning fire devours me. He means... He means he can hardly bear the beauty in his heart because of his longing. That is it. And Tchaikovsky felt that as you feel it. And so he makes this music that is so heartbreaking and so beautiful. How I wish I could write something like that. Something splendid that would set other hearts on fire. That is genius. It is not given to all that so divine gift. But you wish to write, my little friend? Yes, I do. That's my longing. And I'm not doing too badly. I've sold two stories since I've been here. That is good, good. Could I read them, perhaps? Oh, would you? I'd so love to have your opinion. I should be happy. You have the ardent spirit. I like that. Where have these two stories appeared? A magazine, The Weekly Volcano. <clears throat> Weekly Volcano? I do not think I know this. You probably haven't come across it. You let me have the stories. I would love to read them. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Miss March. Good morning, Mamie. Mamie, uh, are you going in to clean the professor's room? Try to. Kind of hopeless if you see what I mean. Uh, I see what you mean. Books, papers. Pipes and old flutes. What's that half-finished boat over there? Something he was making for the kids. He's always making something. Come in, that's all right. Everybody walks in now to hear he likes it. Oh, no, no. I just wanted to leave my stories for him. Only I don't know where to put them. <laughs> They'd be lost in all this. Up there on the mantelpiece. You'll see them there. With these books? Sure. Shakespeare, Dante, Homer, Plato? I wouldn't dare. <laughs> oh, well, there they go. The Weekly Volcano, The Greek Slave, or Constantine the Avenger, etc. <laughs> Look, the poor man. Why, he's been donning his own socks. Sure, there ain't nothing he don't do. Always working, always helping somebody. You know what he's doing here, don't you? No, what? We found out by accident. He's really a famous professor from the University of Vienna, mind you. And he left that and came over here to look after his two orphan nephews. Oh, what he don't do for those children. Such a good man. He'd probably be in some university here, and he came not knowing much English, so he stays here and gives lessons. Mm, Mamie, give, give me a couple of those socks. He needn't know. I'll fix them up, and you can slip them back when they're done. But um, don't tell him, please. Not a word. Miss Mark? <coughs> Josephine Mark? <coughs> what is it, Mrs. Kirk? Some visitors here for you. Oh, yes, I'll be right down. They're in the parlor. Amy. Joe. And Aunt Maud. Good afternoon, Josephine. Oh, oh, I'm so glad to see you. What a wonderful surprise. How did it happen? What's it about? Oh, I'm so happy. Joe, you look fine. And so do you, and you too, Aunt Maud. Stuff and nonsense. I don't do anything of the sort. I'm an old woman, and my bones are gouty. Why should I go around looking like a young chit? You do to me, Aunt Maud. Rubbish, utter rubbish. <laughs> How is Mommy and Father? And how is Bethy? Beth is better, but she's not as rosy as she used to be. Oh, why doesn't my Bethy get strong? I don't know. Joe, guess where we're off to? Where? Tell me. Europe. Europe. Oh, Amy, how wonderful. Yes, we're taking my old bones to Vichy to try the waters. I'm taking Amy for the trip. Also to look after you. Nonsense. I can look after myself. All I seem to do is to provide transportation for your impoverished family. Trips to Washington, trips to New York, trips to Europe. You're awfully good to us, Aunt Maud. Well, I don't mean to be. 
And it wouldn't be necessary if you weren't all so adult-pated. Meg gets married. She doesn't marry a poor tutor. Yes, she does. And you snub the wealthiest young man in town. Mark my words. Someday you'll all learn to take my advice. Maybe we will, Aunt March. Joe, did you see Laurie when he was here? Laurie? In New York? You mean he didn't come to see you? No, I never saw a sign of him. He went on a business trip with his grandfather. They're in Paris now. Maybe we'll see them there. But he'll be back home soon. Laurie in New York and never came to see me. Well, what do you expect, you willful girl, after the way you treated him? We were such good friends. He was awfully hurt, Joe, when you left. But he still loves you. Oh, Joe, if you just let him know, somehow I know he'd... No, no, Amy, it's nothing like that. Do you want to go in my place, Joe? You ought to, really, and then maybe you'd see him. And... Oh, no, of course not. I wouldn't think of it. Well, we have to be at the steamship office before it closes. Come, Amy. Come in. Oh, Professor. Uh, Miss March, I have read these stories. You would like, perhaps, to discuss them? Oh, yes, I would like to. Come in, won't you? Good. You, you um, look a little frightening. Did you like the stories? I must be honest. I was disappointed. You were? Now, this, uh, 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 what is it called? Uh... The Curse of the Coventries, Constantine the Avenger? Yes. Miss March, why do you write these artificial characters? Villains, vipers, murderesses, witches. Oh, such women. Miss March, why don't you... Well, I... I... I try... Try to... Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did not mean to hurt you. What a blundering fool I am. Forgive me. Please. It isn't that. Don't pay any attention to me. It's just that I've made a mess of everything as I always do. But I never thought Laurie... Well, I never thought he'd come to Herr New York. Laurie? <laughs> is this your very good friend? Yes, in a way. He came to New York and never even saw me. But then, why should he? I see. And then, on top of that, the professor comes blundering and makes things worse. No, no. If I can't stand the truth, I'm not good for anything. I didn't think the stories were very good. But the curse of the Coventries was the blessing of the marches. And Constantine the Avenger paid the butcher's bill. And the Duke's daughter is going to send Beth to the mountains next summer where she ought to be. And, and, that, and... that is what I have thought. And so I said to myself, maybe I have no right to speak. And then I have thought, no, I have no right to be silent. For look you, Miss March, you have talent. Oh, do you really think so? Otherwise, I would not say it. But be true to that talent. Sweep mud in the street before you cheapen it. While you are young, write about the things in your heart. The brave, simple things you understand now. And maybe later, when you know the weight of sorrow and on the human heart, then you can write of those poor, wretched murderers and make them live and breathe with your pen, as Shakespeare did. Look. I brought him for you. I give you this book. Between oh. these covers is a whole library. Read it, and he will help you. Oh, thank you. I'll try. 
And you are not angry with the blundering professor who takes the wrong time for his lectures? No, I'm so grateful. And I'm happy that you would talk to me, Mr. So. March, I uh, sometimes get from a friend seats for the Academy of Music. Uh, would you accompany me sometimes? Oh, oh, I'd love it. <laughs> In the following weeks, we went out often together to concerts, then to plays and museums and operas, forgotten were the weekly volcano and the curse of the Coventries. But instead, I was suddenly filled with the beauty of Mozart, Beethoven, Rembrandt, and Leonardo. Filled. <laughs> and a little giddy, too, perhaps. I remember one evening as we came back late to the boarding house in the hall downstairs. <laughs> oh, it is good to see you so flushed and happy. Oh, I've had a wonderful time, Professor. I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind. I've decided to be an opera singer. Wait, wait. Don't decide yet. <laughs> After the circus, you felt a bareback ride that was the most beautiful of all careers. <laughs> and after the museum, you decided to be a painter. And But I'm going to be all of them, all of them. <laughs> oh, Professor, Professor, you're fun to be with. I wish you could meet my family. They'd enjoy you. I keep writing them all about you. You do? Oh, yes, yes, and they always ask questions about you in their letters. Indeed? Oh, yes. For example, when... Why, look at that. A telegram for me. Mrs. Kirk must have left it here. Oh, no. My little friend, what is it? My, it's my sister, Beth. Mother says I, I, I must come home right away. I'm very sorry. Yes, I'll pack tonight. I'll leave on the morning train. What can I do for you? Well, you'll be busy with your lessons in the morning. But uh, when will I see you? You will be back? Well, I, I don't know, Professor. You see, the writing, the weekly volcano and all that, I burned those up. There's nothing left of all that work but ashes. All that is finished. And if I'm not going to write those, I, I can't really afford to live here. I can't tell you how all this grieves me. Professor, Professor, will you come and see us sometime? May I? Shall I? Yes, I want you to. Tell me, your sister and that friend in Europe, are they back yet? They're on their way, I think. I see. Yes. Um, this is awfully sudden, isn't it? Terribly sudden. Poor Beth. we hear from Amy, Mommy? She'll be home next month. Tell me something, Joe. What, Mommy? Would it hurt you terribly if you learned that Laurie had learned to care for somebody else? Amy? Well, I was only reading between the lines. Amy's letters have said a lot about Laurie, and we've had letters from Laurie, too, full of Amy. Laurie and Amy. Would it hurt you terribly? Wouldn't I be selfish if it did? Laurie and Amy. It's wonderful, isn't it, Mommy? It's it's right, isn't it? It's really fine. I hope you feel that way, because that's how I think it will be. Mommy was right. Laurie and Amy came back husband and wife, hilariously happy. 
knowing that they always really loved each other and always had been meant for each other. And they set up housekeeping in a beautiful little house nearby. Then there were just Beth and I. Sit with me, Joe. I'll never leave you, Bethy. Joe, you always reminded me of a seagull, fond of the wind and dreaming of flying far out to sea. <laughs> Mommy said I was more like a cricket chirping contently at home. I guess very soon I'll be home forever. Beth closed her eyes. She slept quietly. And she never woke again. And we laid her to rest. Then it was November. The snow fell quietly and gently in our town. Our house was very quiet. But soon there began preparations for another Christmas. And Meg and Amy, Brooke and Lori were in and out. And I didn't know which was harder to bear, the loneliness or the laughter. I only know that I began to go for long walks. And sometimes I went up into the garret again, where I'd written my very first story and wrote a few words. And one time I showed them to Mommy and Father. My dear, this is fine. It's Joe, so different. it's beautiful. Why, Father, you have a tear in your eye. It's so fine, Joe. But this isn't anything. It's nothing I've done. It's just... Everything about you and Mommy and Meg and Amy and Betty. Things I remembered you all saying and doing. And I sent it off and it was printed at once. And again I went tramping through the winter snow. Only the snow was turning to sleet and rain, and the world was dismal. I was very, very lonely. Except that everywhere was the merriment of Christmas. And then, just a step from home... Miss Joe! Professor! Miss Joe, I come to see you. Oh, my friend, my friend. How did you know? How did you know I wanted to see you above all else? I said I would come. Yes, and you have. I hoped you would. But what do you do without any umbrella in this terrible weather? Here, come under mine. <laughs> I will. Here That's I it. am. <laughs> it turned to rain. And raining harder. Come, come to our, our house is just this way. Oh, Professor, how did you happen to come? I have been invited by a nearby college to discuss a position they offer me. Christopher Columbus, that's fine. Also, I read somewhere one of your stories. It made me feel you had found yourself and were no more restless and discontented. But my name wasn't on that story. It was about your family, no? Yes, it was. It was. You have told me of them, and at once I recognized them, and I knew it was you, a different you. That's right. Thanks to you, Professor. Oh, oh, I've missed you so. I've been so lonely for you. Is that true? Yes, Professor. Then, would it be possible? Yes, yes. Do, do you think that you and I... Yes, Professor? Here, hold, uh, hold the umbrella over you. You are getting wet. I'm all right. Please go on with what you were saying, Professor. This is 
your house? Yes, this is our home, Professor. Yeah, they're making music inside. Yes, they're all together. Perhaps I'm through. No, no, please don't go, don't go. Come in, Professor. Joe, before we go in... Yes, yes? I, I want to ask you. Yes, yes. Oh, how stupid of me. I, I, I meant to stop at some stores for presents for you and your family. And now, Joe, I come with empty arms. Not empty now, Professor. Joe, I love you. Heart, dearest. Welcome home. Fallen on the Theatre Guild production, Little Women, presented by U.S. Steel and starring Catherine Hepburn. Here again is Lawrence Langner to tell you about next week's Theatre Guild play to be presented by United States Steel. Mr. Langner. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, we want to wish you all a very happy Christmas. And we send our special good wishes to all those actors and actresses who are away from their homes and families playing in theaters all over the country and for our troops abroad. Since this is the holiday season, we have selected Walter Houston in Knickerbocker Holiday, the famous musical by Maxwell Anderson with music by Kurt Weill for next Sunday's program. Walter Houston will play Peter Stuyvesant, the role he created on Broadway, and in which he'll sing the delightful September song, which has probably been responsible for more May and December marriages than anything on record. With Mr. Houston will be David Brooks from the Broadway success Bloomer Girl and Jean Darling from our own musical Carousel. And now here is Mr. Brokenshire again. The United States Steel Corporation joins the Theater Guild on the air in wishing every one of you a very Merry Christmas and hopes you'll be with us next week at the same time when we'll bring you Walter Houston in the musical play of Old New York, Knickerbocker Holiday. If you'd like program notes and cast list of tonight's Theater Guild on the Air, prepared for each broadcast with information about the play and the players, simply address U.S. Steel Corporation, Radio Department, 71 Broadway, New York 6, New York. The staff for the Theater Guild on the Air includes Homer Fickett, director, George Condolph, producer, and Armina Marshall, executive director of the Radio Department. Music for tonight's play was composed and conducted by Harold Levy and the play adapted for radio by Eric Barnell. Your announcer, Norman Brokenshire.
This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. It's 8 o'clock at KECA, Los Angeles. Thank you for joining us and enjoying our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Please remember to leave us a review and to follow us for frequent releases.